with no end in sight. Hong Tai said affected employees will be put on furlough and that it'll run at the lowest cost possible until all border restrictions are dropped. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday the 27th of October. A very warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. The Bank of Canada raised interest rates by 50 basis points Thursday to three and three quarters of a percent, surprising economists who had expected a 75 basis point move. It brings the key rate to its highest level since 2008. Australia's annual consumer price index reached the highest since December 1990. Inflation in Australia accelerated to 7.3% in the third quarter from a year ago, compared to 6.1% in the second quarter. And in data released just moments ago, South Korea's GDP rose 0.3% in the third quarter from the previous quarter. That's the slowest pace since the third quarter of 2021. New UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said yesterday that his government is delaying the announcement of its new medium-term fiscal plan to November the 17th from October the 31st. He said he wants more time to make what he calls the right decisions as his government looks to plug a £35 billion fiscal shortfall. That's about US$41 billion. The Monetary Authority of Singapore on Wednesday released two new consultation papers proposing new measures to protect retail traders in cryptocurrencies. Singapore's central bank has put forward options including having investors take a test, prohibiting credit card payments and borrowing incentives to attract retail customers. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by wealth investment strategist Enzio von Feil and Louisa Fock at the Bank of Singapore. With a view from South Korea is Peter Kim from KB Securities. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US shares closed mainly lower following disappointing earnings reports for major tech companies, including Microsoft and Alphabet. Both reported the impact of the slowing economy on their revenues. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq both snapped three-day winning streaks. The S&P 500 lost 0.7%, ending at 3,831. The Dow gave up a gain of over 300 points to end the day just two points higher at 31,839. The Nasdaq Composite Index dropped 2% to close at 10,971. Shares of Alphabet closed almost 10% lower after the company reported the weakest growth since 2013. Microsoft tumbled almost 8% after the company reported softer cloud revenue than expected in its fiscal first quarter. And in after-hours trading, shares of Meta have plunged 19% to a six-year low after the owner of Facebook warned of near-term challenges to revenue. Meta reported a second straight quarterly revenue decline and is forecasting another drop in the fourth quarter. Third quarter revenue fell 4% to US$27.7 billion US dollars versus the US$27.4 billion expected. And Meta is contending with a broad slowdown in online ad spending and increased competition from TikTok. In Europe, the Stock 600 index rallied 0.7% and the FTSE 100 was up 0.6%. 
Hong Kong stocks rebounded slightly from a slump earlier this week, ending a brutal five-day sell-off. On Wednesday, the Hang Seng climbed 152 points, or 1%, to 15,318. And following a 6.4% plunge on Monday, the Hang Seng is down 5.5% for the week and 34.5% for 2022 so far, making it the world's worst-performing major market. The tech index jumped 2.5%, but is still down 48% year-to-date. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.8% to 2,999, leaving it down 17.6% for the year. Standard Chartered reported a better-than-expected profit for the third quarter because of a strong performance in its financial markets business and rising interest rates globally. Pre-tax profit was 1.4 billion US dollars in the third quarter, beating analysts' consensus estimate of 1.1 billion. Profit jumped 15% in the bank's Asia business. Shares of Standard Chartered closed 2.7% higher. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 2.3% higher at $95.69 a barrel. Gold is 0.8% firmer at $1,665 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield is down 9 basis points at 4.01%. And the US dollar weakened across the board as bond yields fell, with the US dollar index tumbling to a five-week low. The euro hit parity with the dollar for the first time in five weeks, with the European Central Bank expected to raise interest rates later today. A Japanese yen is trading at 146 and a quarter versus the greenback. The British pound rose 1.4% to $1.16 and a quarter cents as investors shrugged off the decision to, to delay the fiscal statements by two weeks. And against the local currency, it's trading at nine Hong Kong dollars and 12 cents. And there's been a big turnaround in the Chinese currency following several days of weakness. China's onshore yuan finished the domestic session at 7.18 and a quarter per dollar. That's the strongest close since October the 12th. Offshore Chinese yuan has jumped 2% on the day to 7.17 per dollar. That's the biggest daily rise on record. Chinese state-run banks were selling the US dollar aggressively to try and stem the fall in the yuan. And Bitcoin is at a six-week high of $20,800. Let's take a look around Asia-Pacific stock markets uh, this morning. First of all, in Australia, the SX200 is up half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down 0.2%. Cosby in South Korea has risen about three quarters of a percent. Chinese stocks listed in New York have posted their best two-day gain since April. That's erased most of Monday's record drop. The Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index rose 7.2% last night, bringing its two-day gain to 12%. That's going to help Hong Kong stocks this morning. The Hang Seng looking like it's going to add about 320 points at the open when trading gets going.
time's just gone 8.10. Let's welcome our guests with us, as always, on a Thursday. Wealth Investment Strategist, Enzio von Farr. Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And also over in our Queensway studio is Louisa Falk, China Equity Strategist at the Bank of Singapore. Morning to you, Louisa. Morning, Peter. Well, let's start with this local um, stock sell-off. As you heard there, the Hang Seng, despite a rebound yesterday, and also looking like it may rebound at the open this morning, it's still down 5.5% for the week, off 34.5% for the year so far. It makes it the world's worst-performing major market. More than $1.6 trillion of market value now has been wiped out across the Hong Kong market this year. What is this down to? What's causing it? Um, Peter, um, I think the market has been pricing in a um, relatively low growth and no reopening uh, for the mainland China after the party congress. Um, there, as there's no imminent shift in terms of the, or even no mention in terms of the dynamic zero COVID strategy. Um, so on the back of this, uh, we are probably in a policy vacuum, so called from now till probably um, the Central Economic Work Conference which is an annual conference that will be held in December. This is probably um, offering a first glimpse in terms of how the new leadership team or prioritizing or the economic policy for next year. Or maybe uh, many of those um, targets or settings will be unveiled and at the National People Congress in March uh, next year. So I think from now till probably in December, there will be, like what I've mentioned, a policy vacuum. So um, that's why uh, some of the investors are taking uh, a, a more cautious uh, outlook um, in light of more economic policy or priorities will be communicated to the market. And in that policy vacuum then between now and December, maybe even longer, does that mean it's going to be very difficult for um, Chinese stocks to recover? Um, not exactly. Uh, technically, like what you have mentioned, um, the market has uh, been oversold. And if you, if we take a step back, looking at the fundamentals, um, right now valuations is uh, trading at the previous twelve levels that we've seen over the past decade or fifteen years. Even mm-hmm. if we're using the asset value based valuation metrics like price to book, we we totally well, price you know, to book. It's at a yeah. forty percent discount now. I mean that. It's a, a record discount, so it's very cheap, isn't it? Yes, so um, that that's definitely setting the stage. And I think um, Hong Kong market also not just having the influence of the mainland policy and economic policy, but we all know throughout this whole year, or more particularly in the second half, that will be the U.S. rates outlook. And we all know that um, in November and December, we will have um, two more um, Fed meetings, the FOMC meetings, that will set the stage for the Fed rate high outlooks, not just for this year, but probably for next year as well. Enzio, what do you put this down to? What's behind this uh, this sell-off? Well, next to what Louisa was saying, I think there are three reasons. First of all, the in Hong Kong, clearly last week's policy addressed by John Lee, um, I think the listeners remember my rather acerbic comments on that. Then secondly, the global economic time keeps veering towards stagflation, yet the market keeps on thinking that U.S. earnings are going to grow by 9.7% mm. next year and global <laughs> earnings are going to grow by 9%. Well, so the market companies still- like Facebook and Alphabet and Microsoft, I think, have knocked that on the head, haven't they, in the last couple I of days? I think so. So I think we call that 
denial. And thirdly, I think the trend growth in China, I reckon, is going to be about 1% to 1.2% over the next years. Really? As, the, as low as that? I mean, the, people are sort of talking about maybe 3% trend growth. You're, you're going even lower. Exactly, because the, 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 the workforce is going to grow by about 0.5% and productivity by about 0.7% a year, according to some studies that I've read. So mm. um, it just is looking pretty bleak. And so if you have no growth, how can you have earnings, valuations and all that? Do you see stagflation on the mainland as well? Oh, yes, I think we've already got that. But, I mean, it's, it's less – it's more muted because the inflation problem isn't as big. There will be some inflation, of course, because the – Hitherto weakening renminbi um, has, of course, then given rise to some imported inflation. But mm. I think, but it will be a, a muted stagflation. So, tell me then, what do you think the government has got to do to try and boost economic growth? I know we're we're in a bit of a policy vacuum, but when you hear um, President Xi talk, it seems to me there's a number of contradictions. He's talking about boosting economic growth and making big strides forward over the next 10 years or so in the size of the economy. But then at the same time, he's locking down entire cities, which obviously drags on that. Mm. He talks about technology self-sufficiency, but then he's clamping down on the tech firms and it's wiped out, what, $1.5 trillion in market value um, from them. He talks about more opening up to the world, but then restricting capital flows. It, it seems contradictory. So what is it going to take to, to boost economic growth? Maybe he's um, adopted Marx's dialectic. I don't know. I'm not clever enough to tell you that. I think that I, I agree with you, but I think that because the trend growth in China is going to be so pokey going forward, if, if my numbers are remotely correct, then I think I understand that he wants to protect people's health. I think the lockdown is far too severe myself, but I'm not a public health expert to know what he should do in its place. I guess get more foreign vaccines and he doesn't want to do that. Um, and I think that, yes, the lockdown is impeding the circulation of the economy. So you're right. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. L Louisa, if you look at the markets, whether you buy it here in Hong Kong or on the mainland in Shanghai and Shenzhen, are there sectors that you think now, given um, what we've heard from the National Congress, that maybe you would look at, and I'm thinking perhaps of, you know, President Xi has talked about strategic emerging industries. Are they sectors that you should be looking to buy stocks in? Uh, yes, that's definitely. I think um, uh, the China telecom sector is one of the sector that I I, I, um, I, I do believe investors should look at it because um, it offers both a defensive yield and also growth opportunities. Um, I think uh, the the thing is key major players uh, have already been on the uh, uh, exec executive order list. So uh, foreign institutional participation, if they would have to be doing the forced selling, they would have done so. Um, so that's one. Secondly, uh, these are the stocks that you're looking at steady cash flow, uh, rising dividend uh, payout. So at the sector level, you're looking at a dividend yield of about 8% going into 9% mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. So despite the uh, Fed rate high, there's still a relatively uh, strong buffer or the so-called yield spread uh, that acting as the buffer. And thirdly, many of those uh, or the leading players, they have been um, uh, increasing their exposure to the 5G industrial digitization. So it will give um, uh, an options uh, to tack into the long-term growth that is, uh, has been highlighting uh, at President Xi's uh, speech. And what do you do about the sectors that have been the target 
of regulatory crackdowns like the big tech companies, private education, are they going to continue to struggle or do you maybe take a contrarian view and say they're now so cheap, some of these stocks, that, that, that maybe they're a buy? Um, I, I think our view is that many of the regulatory um, uh, guidance or tightening uh, would have we we should have seen the peak and is heading to normalization. And I think going back to the bottom line is that uh, uh, some signs of mobility easings or some uh, more meaningful adjustment to the dynamic COVID strategy uh, will be what it takes. Because many of these players, especially in the internet platform, um, they have managed to increase their margin despite. Um, the activity disruptions over the past year. So um, some, uh, even though a minor adjustment that will be uh, adding a lot of um, impetus uh, to these um, operations and also the share price sentiment as well. And one other sector finally I wanted to ask you about, what about the exporters? Exports are priced in US dollars. Uh, we've seen a strong dollar and a weak yuan that translates into more income for exporters. Would that be a sector you would look at? Um, I think uh, exporters probably is a very broad um, uh, 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 group of companies. Um, after all, we'll probably have to look into individual uh, industry exposure. Um, with the geopolitical tensions is on the rise, some of the selective industry that are um, uh, resting in the so-called sensitive um, industries or sensitive export uh, fields, uh, I think investors may, may need to be a little bit more cautious. And also, I think on the other hand, and uh, exposure to US or exposure to Europe both see their uh, pros and cons um, because uh, European economy outlook is definitely it's probably a lot dimmer versus um, the US. Enzia, what do you make of the strong US dollar, and particularly the weak renminbi, although in the last 24 hours we have seen this huge turnaround in the, in the Chinese currency, but nevertheless, overall, it has been rather weak, hasn't it? What's the significance of that? Well, I just think it's a headline of the FT yesterday that there are a lot of rich people who are just leaving China en masse because they're a little bit scared. I, I kind of understand that with Xi clamping down so much, he's perhaps going a little bit veering a little bit too strongly into the wind on this one. Um, but I think there's a lot of capital flight going on. The trade picture is getting gloomier. That's because the global economic time is worsening. So that would suggest that China's trade surplus, current account surpluses also diminish. Mm -hmm. And finally, I don't. I think that the US rates are going to keep on going up. I'm looking more at 5 to 6% on the Fed funds peaking out then sometime in the middle of next year. And that, and I can't see the Europe, which is flat on its back, other than other than the dollar and the Swiss franc. I can't see anything else doing well on the currency side. So you think then that in that case, there, there's more strength to go probably in the in the U.S. dollar and also in bond yields as well. Yes, I, I think bond yields will probably go down because I, I think that the I was sorry will go up because the you're absolutely right, Peter. I'm going back to your old previous trade, of course, um, <laughs> because the uh, people will get more worried about this inflation story, which just isn't going to go away because there. If you have a hammer, you can only bang on a nail. You can't do other things, which are like stru structural inflation problems, which are not being addressed by the Fed. Okay, well, we have had a lot of economic data out from the mainland uh, this week. Obviously, the main uh, piece of data uh, was uh, was uh, third quarter GDP rose 3.9%. It surprised a lot of people. Um, people were expecting around 3.3%. Are, are you taking from this NGO any sign that maybe the economy is stabilizing on the mainland? 
No, I think it's kind of an end run. I think that there have been some some just one-off factors in that. I suspect, um, I believe from just from memory that the private consumption is down a little bit, is, 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 is softer. Um, mm. The capital investment is stronger, I believe. Again, that would be the fiscal policy of the state. So it's, it's kind of a phony number in my mind. I, I just don't see how China can do well with the lockdown, with the global economic time worsening. It, it can't stand out. What do you think, uh, Louisa? Did you see any good news at all in the, uh, in the data that we saw earlier this week? Um, I, I think maybe put it this way, look, looking ahead, uh, definitely um, throughout the past, uh, this year and probably going into next year, I think uh, infrastructure will, will still uh, likely to see stronger support because for the three key drivers or key uh, growth engines, that's basically manufacturing, that's uh, we talk about, that's rest with mainly of the exports um, uh, and also infrastructure and also real estate. And obviously, infrastructure will have to take a bigger role to play um, to stabilize the economic growth. Yeah. One piece of data I wanted to ask you both about, China's budget deficit. It's soared now to almost a record $1 trillion as the economy slows down for the first nine months of the year. Uh, it was about $980 billion. That's three times the shortfall in the same period last year. We know that these days bond markets don't like budget deficits anymore, do they? Particularly with interest rates rising, as the UK has found out to its cost. Is this going to become a problem? I, I'm not so sure. I, I'm not what I don't know what it is relative to GDP. I'll, I'll confess that. Um, I suspect it, though it looks a lot healthier than the U.S. budget deficit to GDP or the Europeans' budget deficit to, 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 to GDP figures. So yes, I mean the bond markets are correct in being the vigilante on the fiscal side of the ledger, um, but I don't think that China is. I wouldn't put China in the same boat as the very sick U.S public finances or indeed the, the rotten ones in Europe. Briefly, uh, Louisa, is it a problem? Um, I think if you look at uh, the headline budget deficit, it's still at the low single digit. So uh, compare with the rest of the world, it's still on the healthier camp. And I think um, it has been at the beginning of the year, it has been flagged out that uh, the physical policy will take a stronger role in stabilizing uh, the economy. So uh, this is kind of, um, I, I wouldn't say uh, this is not too out of expectations. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you both very much. That's Louisa Fock, China Equity Strategist at the Bank of Singapore and Wealth Investment Strategist, NZO Von File. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.25 on the phone from Seoul is Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities in South Korea. Morning, Peter. Good morning. And um, we've been talking about this Hong Kong and China stock sell-off, but particularly here in Hong Kong. But there is um, an aspect here that's um, affecting Korean investors, isn't it? Because um, there are a lot of derivative products linked um, to the Hang Seng and also to the China um, Enterprises Index. And a lot of them have been sold um, in South Korea. So is this uh, causing some problems for investors? Is it being noticed at all? Uh, historically, that would have been the case. Uh, but I think this time something is different in the sense that uh, China has been on a pretty much a two, three year bear market. And that has uh, lessened the impact uh, of this current sell off. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, the investors from Korea have uh, uh, reduced their exposure to China. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, I think a lot of the regulators also 
uh, has been closely watching their fund flow into this riskier product. So uh, probably I'm not as alarmed as I normally would, but nonetheless, there's always a uh, the chance that something uh, uh, will uh, uh, break, and uh, we uh, obviously we're closely watching that. I never know where everyone knows quite quite sure the value of derivative products that are outstanding and exactly um, who owns them. That's often what causes problems in the financial markets, isn't it? Yeah, um, and normally for Korea, it's really been the uh, product that are sold to the retail investors. Um, as I mentioned already, the institutional investors uh, probably uh, have uh, been uh, very vigilant in uh, uh, not getting into these uh, products uh, historically. Uh, uh, at the moment, though, uh, a lot of the retail investment of Korea have been focusing on the U.S., uh, less on Asia. And once again, that gives me a little more confidence that uh, there won't be anything uh, uh, of a surprise on um, the negative side. And what do you make of these sharp moves we're seeing in currency markets? We've seen enormous U.S. dollar strength, which has affected uh, the offshore yuan, which hit a record low. The South Korean won as well, depreciating um, sharply. Uh, the Philippine peso, you've got officials in Japan, uh, the Philippines and South Korea all saying they're going to try and defend their currencies. And then we've had this big uh, dollar rebound in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Nevertheless, it, it seems to be causing a lot of concern for Asian central banks. It's a very different type of uh, rate tightening cycle, isn't it? Uh, normally, you would expect the risky part of the world to be coming from Latin America or Southeast Asia, but this time it's become more of a developed part of the world. Uh, the UK pound, uh, the Korean won, the yen. Uh, I think uh, 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 that I probably think that the commodity rally has saved a lot of the weaker part of the yen. Uh, I think that this time around, uh, South Korea in particular uh, have uh, been left a little bit caught napping uh, by the fact that they haven't been able to keep up on the curve that uh, that is set by the U.S. FOMC. Do central banks have the tools to defend uh, their currency? We've seen uh, the Bank of Japan intervening with some success, but it seems to be short-term success. The, uh, the Philippine central bank said it's going to keep the peso from falling below 60 to the dollar. In South Korea as well, talking about defending the currency. But do central banks have the tools on their own to be able to do that? They certainly have the tools, but at the cost of having a recession. Mm. Uh, I think uh, the balancing at the central banks have been trying to do is that uh, they're trying to uh, fight inflation without getting into recession. But I think, to me, very clear that recession is a necessary part of this cycle. And I think the quicker the central banks admit to that, uh, the, the better the financial markets will be, uh, make that adjustment. And the, the quicker maybe companies um, adjust their earnings forecasts as well, and, and analysts as well, as we've seen in the U.S. overnight with Alphabet, with uh, Facebook, yeah. with Meta. Um, clearly, the economic slowdown is affecting their revenues. I think the, from my observation, cre uh, companies are making their adjustment to recessionary risks pretty quickly. Um, I think, the, to be honest, the financial analysts, uh, are the ones that are lagging behind this time around. So I think uh, uh, perhaps when the analysts make that uh, uh, adjustment, that might uh, signal the beginning of the bottom. Uh, mm. So I'll be looking up for that. Do you think, um, do you see any signs? There was some talk a little bit from the Fed earlier this week and also in the markets maybe over the last 24 hours uh, that Fed, Fed officials 
are starting to get a little bit concerned about the pace at which interest rates are rising and that we may have to start slowing down soon? Um, I think uh, for the U.S. itself, I don't think there is any real concern because the economy is still strong. Uh, The strong dollar has a lot of benefits to the U.S., but I think the Fed are starting to show concerns of outside of the U.S. Uh, If there is an emerging market crisis or any type of a crisis outside the U.S., it ultimately affects U.S. as well. So I think in that sense, uh, they have to be watching that very closely. Okay, Peter, thank you very much indeed. That's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in South Korea right now, uh, the Cosby is up about 1.2%. The ASX 200 in Australia up a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 0.1%. Does look like the Hang Seng, though, is going to have a continuation of the rally, rising about 330 points or so at the open uh, this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned for Back Chat coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast dry during the day maximum temperature of around 28 degrees going to remain fine and dry in the latter part of this week and early next week it's 23 degrees right now 73 percent relative humidity times 8 31 here's tom warden with a half hour news executive council convener regina Ip agrees the pol- words political neutrality should be dropped from the code of conduct for civil servants to eliminate misunderstandings The civil service chief briefed lawmakers yesterday on her plans to drop the term so staff couldn't use it as an excuse to avoid tasks. Ms. Ip told RTHK that when she was security minister, she was accused of not being politically neutral when she voiced support for former leader Tung Chi Hua. Ms. Ip says loyalty to the government takes precedence over political neutrality. It has caused a lot of misunderstanding. Um, in my time, this term has been used by the opposition uh, to ask civil servants not to support the chief executive. So it, it happened in my time. So I think it is better to remove this term to uh, eliminate any misunderstanding. Queen Mary Hospital says an investigation is underway after it received a report that a doctor was suspected of improperly obtaining morphine, oral analgesics, or painkillers. Robert Kemp reports. In a statement, the hospital authority said the doctor concerned works at the Li Ka-shing Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong, and that Queen Mary Hospital and Hong Kong U had set up a joint committee to look into the matter. He said last Saturday this committee had met with the doctor to see whether any criminal element was involved and that police had been informed. It also said several other doctors appeared to have prescribed the drugs between February and August. The authority said the doctor was now on leave and that Queen Mary Hospital had reviewed patient records and no patient had been affected. Queen Mary Hospital in Pokfulam is the teaching hospital for the Li Ka-shing Faculty of Medicine. Hong Tai Travel says the travel industry is in a dark tunnel as it announced that its branch services, which have been suspended since August, would not resume until further notice. The travel agency said it would keep costs as low as possible until all travel restrictions were lifted. Joanne Wong reports. Let's go, baby! Hong Tai, stand by you. 
Hong Tai said in the statement it has suspended services at its branches to stay afloat. The travel agency, known for its package tours, said the pandemic has forced many of its staff to leave the industry entirely and that travelers now also prefer to plan their own trips. It did say the government's decision to drop quarantine in favor of three days of medical surveillance last month did bring some hope to the sector, but the measure didn't go far enough. It said the travel industry has entered a dark tunnel with no end in sight. Hong Tai said affected employees will be put on furlough and that will run at the lowest cost possible until all border restrictions are dropped. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we're talking about COVID vaccine exemptions. The Executive Council on Tuesday approved an amendment to legislation giving the Health Secretary power to cancel COVID vaccine exemptions.